and welcome to episode 304 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking. From indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Humble opinion. Who are you? I'm Dom Lenoir. And I'm Giles Alderson and welcome to the show. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? It's really exciting. I mean, congratulations on doing your intro. Yeah, we've had to. <laughs> oh, you were talking generally, right? I thought you meant just because you'd got through the intro. Well, we're, yeah, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, t- I'll, I'll take those. Uh, I'll take those. Uh, those praise. Yeah. It's, it's rare and uh, rare and few, but far between. But you deserve it. It's just thank you. You know, just you know, we don't like to give you praise because we know how big your ego gets in your head. So. We... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So who do we have on the show today, Dom? Because I'm in Spain and I didn't record this one. Tell me all about it as if I am five. We... <laughs> as if? <laughs> <laughs> we have... Well, okay, it's a pretty exciting episode. I mean, we, we've covered some, you know, for, for, our, for a humble podcast, we're, we're covering mm. some very big guests. Um, yeah. And on Causeway, we <gasps> have... Go on. Director <gasps> Lila Neugebauer. Wow. And Justine Kayarochi, the producer of the latest Jennifer Lawrence film. <gasps> Causeway, right? That is right. That is right. That is wow. Right. To be fair, that is actually pretty impressive. I was actually gutted I couldn't be there. Um, you went to a hotel room uh, with Lila and Justine. It wasn't just the three of you, because that might be weird. No, it was not. Someone else joined it, you. Well, yes. Because I wasn't available. There, there was. It was Ma- Master Buru himself, director of... When the streaming starts. <laughs> oh, and a little plug for your film there. That was really well done. That was really clever. That was very jar. See, see, as, I, yeah, as I'm rubbing taking over you. your duties. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking over your duties. The shameless plugging uh, sort of also comes with the territory. You can't help shameless plugging. Um, but no, it's no. true. It's like when we've got films out. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you hate yeah. us for this, but... I'm not sorry, really. I'm no, not. you I'm shouldn't not. be. You should go and watch our films. Because they're right. good. Yeah, I mean, you should. Because... Yeah, we're making the effort to do this for you. To be fair, credit to, to Justine and, and Leela. They were as interested in our movie as, as they were in, in, in their one. I mean, they started the interview by asking about our movie and where we could see it. So, you know, that's, that's a real credit to them. They, didn't have, they don't have to do that. They didn't have to do that. And do you know what? That happened as well when I interviewed Sally El Hassani and then actually I chatted to the actors uh, afterwards and Matthias uh, Schweinhofer. He also said, oh, he was really interested in 3D Millionaire as well, which was... Fucking great. Well, yes, yes. I mean, I, I remember there because I because I because I was on the the interview with you, and, mm, and mm. I seem to remember you may have brought it up first, but then the, there was definitely interest. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you know, it's, it sort of swings around about. Yeah. So you didn't bring yours up. They obviously just went. Oh, you're the producer of um, when the screaming starts, right? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Tell us more about uh, your chat with the fantastic Causeway teams. Yes, I, I will, and, and also I'll, I'll just thro- throw <laughs> yes, in a throw I will. Little Little, little, little funny bone for, for Connor. Poor, poor Connor hadn't, hadn't really done any of these interviews before, and he, he stepped in last minute to, yeah. to help with the burden of, of, of doing these solo. And he, and he sort of walked in, and uh, it was a full-blown 
TV studio, which, which, he, which he wasn't quite expecting. Because normally we just turn up with mics if we're lucky in our hands. Yeah. And, and at one recently, Dom did forget to bring the mics, but we'll bring that up when that episode does well, air We won't bring that properly. up. Cut, cut that, Toby. Cut but, it, cut it, cut it. But, but <laughs> for, for these ones, like sometimes we get people to step in and help out. Like I say, it's hard to do these on your own for an hour or whatever, especially in person. And the fact there was yeah. a hell of a lot of TV crew there. And the fact that Connor's going, oh my God, what have you got me into? But to be fair, he's really good. He's very He did very well, competent, yeah. yeah. And I imagine he's going to impress the hell out of a lot of people. So do give him some love on Twitter. He is at Connor Burrow. And do go support his film, When the Scream Starts, which is also Our film. produced by Dom. I'm very sad to say. Um, I'm very loath to say. <laughs> promoting our own film. So anyway, 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 the listeners don't care about that. Yeah, they want to know what you talked about. What what will people learn and take away from your chat with Lila and with Justine? They will learn about adapting sensitive subject matter, such as PTSD, Mm -hmm. making their first feature with large studios such as A24 and Apple TV, the importance of casting and working with stars like Jennifer Lawrence, Mm -hmm. and not overdoing dialogue or over-explaining plot points. Amazing. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Like I say, I'm gutted I wasn't there. I think it would have been really fun. And also, you, like I say, you've done quite a lot of these in the last few mm. weeks. Uh, and yep. you've met quite a lot of celebrities and big yep. time producers and directors. Was this as exciting? And did you meet any other celebrities as you were going in? VIPs with Jennifer Lawrence there, for instance. Didn't didn't see J-Law. No, no. Uh, yeah, this, this was definitely up there with... with... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to sort of pick favourites, but but it's, it's probably one of my my sort of favourite three of of the the sort of interview process. Wow, wow! It was a, it was a really good. It's, it's just it's my kind of film. It's you know it's a, it's a good. What's it about? Like character based drama about PTSD mm. and people finding connections in in you know challenging circumstances, and it's it's just a good drama. How good is Jennifer Lawrence in it? Because Jen almost too good. And Jen, like she's my mate, is incredible. Yeah, she's pretty she's pretty decent, but. <laughs> Pretty decent from Dom Lenoir. Pretty decent. The filmmaker's yeah. podcast gives it pretty decent. Quote for the poster there yeah. for you. <laughs> Spectacular. Spectacular. Nice. But also, it, it, the thing is, it is a two-hander though, and I would say Brian Tyree Henry mm. is, is equally as good. Um, and, and they, you know, he, he's, he, he brings something, like, you know, really interesting to the role he doesn't say very much like he's, he's a very like thoughtful character I mean we go go into this in the episode but he, he's a very he's a very interesting guy to watch on screen he's incredible in Widows if Beale Street could talk yes. uh, he's also in Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse um, yeah this guy's different level of an actor so and you've got to be to, to act opposite Jennifer Lawrence and you, you have know. yeah because she, she just brings like A game so oh. hooray 24 game you could say you could <laughs> You you, uh, you yeah you, you could. could so the apple doesn't fall far from the TV. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! People will be skipping this shit now. Um, so well, they won't know where the episode starts. So no, jokes on so them. Yeah, exactly, fools. We might start in the middle now. Exactly. Let's just give a fifteen-second <laughs> pause when they skip it for fifteen seconds. And nothing has happened. Yeah, perfect. Great. That's ten. So um, nine, nine eight, seven. How anyway. that can you not anyway. count? <laughs> uh, not really, no. I forgot, forgot what I was doing. I got, I got lost on the IMDb page. 
Uh, well, anyway, listen, for those of you who do listen regularly to the show, thank you. It means the world to us. Do tell your friends. That is how we grow. Honestly, it means a lot. And it also means we can interview amazing filmmakers like Lila and Justine. And we get very mm. close to Justine Lawrence because she was in the same hotel when Dom was there. Dom could have bumped into her as he did bump into Eddie Redmayne the other week. And, and Eddie then became his bestie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like I say, and if you do like this, do go support us. Uh, give us a five star review. We haven't had one for mm. maybe four minutes. So do go give us <laughs> give us one and make us feel nice and gooey <laughs> inside. Uh, and our Patreon page as well. We've had some amazing bonus material on there because our episodes often record for an hour and a half. So there's definitely 20 minutes of still great stuff that is on there. Plus all the mini episodes that Hugh has been recording as well. Uh, go on there. Patreon now forward slash patreon.com. Also, Three Day Millionaire chat. Sorry to bore you with this again, but Dom, being our tour manager, wanted to bring this up. So obviously we're like, all right, we have to talk about one of our films. Right. But Three Day Millionaire is releasing in cinemas on the 25th of November. But we have some press tour news, don't we, Dom? Tell us, tell everyone, tell our listeners, because they're dying to know. This is what they listen to the intro for. So we've got Cleethorpe Parkway on the 21st. Got Maple Cleethorpe's Parkway on 21st. Yeah, Maplethorpe Cinema on the 22nd. Uh, London premiere on the 23rd. Maybe Manchester on the 24th. Who knows? Blackpool 26th, 27th, Huddersfield. Woo-hoo. I mean, yeah, some of these are, most of these are penciled now, to be honest. Um, <laughs> wow, doing your job. This is great. Yep, sounds so depressed. Oh, most of these are penciled. Yeah. 7th of December, we've got Ilkley, which is near Giles's. Uh-huh. Cosgreenops Manor as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah. Just to sort of throw, throw a bit of information in here, usually a, a cinema run would be organised by four or five people with probably at least three months lead-in. Mm. I'm doing it on my own. Mm. Very little help from Giles. It's a very, very wonderful and loud clap for you there. Yes. There we go. Mm. But I am filming at the moment in Spain, so it's difficult. So I do appreciate actually what you're doing at the moment, me and Jack do. Um, But basically we're telling you that because it is getting a cinema run as well through showcase cinemas. But these are the Q&A tour that is Dom's talking about where myself, Jack and some of the cast members and some of the crew will be there chatting about how we made the film. We're also doing a podcast special as well, so you'll be able to hear that. But just come meet us live in person. Then do come to these cinemas. Links to some of these will be in the show. And in the meantime, why don't you watch 100% Rated on Rotten Tomatoes when the screaming starts on (gasps) streaming platforms in UK and USA right now. Why not? Why not promote some more of our films? Right, enough of that. Unless you've got any more you want to promote. No, I've got no cause way to do that. Oh, I love it. And what a perfect segue because here is our chat. I say ours. It's Dom Lenoir's and our brand new host for the day, Connor Burrow. We might bring him back if he's any good. Chatting with director Lila Nugabauer and producer Justin Kayaroki. Sit down, relax, enjoy this chat. Enjoy. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. We are delighted to have Lila Neugebauer and uh, the director of Causeway and producer Justin Shiroki. Uh, I'm Dom Lenoir. This is Connor Baru. There we go. How does it feel? You've got your film in the LFF. The release is coming up. How are you? How are you at the moment? We're delighted and totally overwhelmed. It's pretty surreal. It's been a surreal couple weeks. It's it's wonderful <laughs> to be here. I'm I'm very obsessed with your city. Um, I, I'm a native New Yorker, and at the risk of sounding presumptuous, I've always felt deep kinship with the people of London. 
They're nodding. Um, but um, but uh, so um, I'm so thrilled and honored and humbled that the movie is here in London. Yes. We're so delighted to be here. Yes. Um, and yes, I think generally this has been a long road for us and um, it's lovely to be here with you now. Has it always been the goal to, to play at the LFF? Like how, how did that process begin? Like was it, was it an early decision or did that sort of come later into the, the production? Oh my gosh. I mean, of course, we hoped. We hoped that we would submit and be accepted and... We were thrilled when we were. So did you premiere at Toronto, was it? We did. How was that? Was that the first time you'd seen it with a big audience? It was, and it was wild. We were saying after the fact. You mean London's not wild? No. <laughs> wow, this is far wilder. Yeah. Far wilder. <laughs> <laughs> far wilder. Slightly reserved uh, English yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah. No, just, I mean, it was <laughs> wild to experience the movie with uh, an audience because, because of course we've been watching it incessantly for the last 300 years inside of a tiny editing room and mostly to be critiquing and scrutinizing and reorienting. So to be able to sit back and watch it purely to watch it with an audience, to feel them absorbing it, to feel them reacting, it's it's surreal. And it's, it's a deeply emotional and really moving film. How, how did you how did you both right back to the start of how the, the film sort of came to you, the script, the story, how did you both get attached? This story begins for me about three and a half years ago. It was the spring of 2019. I'm primarily a theater director. So that has been my life for the past 15 or so years. And I had just opened a play on Broadway, a production of a play by Kenny Lonergan called The Waverly Gallery. And one of the producers on that show handed me a screenplay, which was the original screenplay for this film. And I was disarmed by how connected I felt to this character's inner life. Her grief, her disassociation, from herself, from a home that should be the most familiar place. Um, I'm not a veteran, I'm not a member of the US Armed Forces, but I, um, yeah, I felt immediate connection with this character uh, and was also immensely intrigued by the pacing of the film, its care, its patience, its attention to detail. And then only a few weeks after that, I heard that Jen had read it mm -hmm. and um, had a similar reaction. And I was asked, would you like to have dinner with her? I said, yes, I would. Um, and so uh, I said, I'm sure. A bit busy, though. Sounds good. It's yeah, yeah, like give me a few weeks to look at my calendar. Might be able to move uh, something around. Yeah, so we had like, we had, like a five hour dinner and it was. Um, that sounds like a good dinner. It was mm -hmm. really deeply joyful. The, it was a feeling of kismet, honestly. I think um, the degree of alignment in terms of our respective connection to the material and what felt uh, so immediately, like a kind of natural discourse between us, uh, formed an undeniable basis for the beginning of a creative partnership. And um, we were in production only a few months later. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you kind of feel a responsibility like tackling subject matter like this? Like, I mean, it, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder is, is a really big thing. And you know, a, lot, a lot of films don't really go into the, the nitty gritty of what it's actually like to have a, a really different body working from usual? Hugely so. You said feeling of responsibility. Yeah, hugely so. I mean, I um, while making this film, beginning while we were developing the script and then through prep, while shooting, and deep into post, I have had the unbelievable opportunity to consult very extensively with U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs medical professionals, so people with expertise in the field of traumatic brain injury and PTSD, um, with regard to TBI, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, and I've also... Um, had the unbelievable chance to talk at great length with wide-ranging sets of veterans and U.S. Armed Forces service members. Those conversations were transformative, revelatory, formed a foundational 
bedrock from which to make this film. You know, we, uh, while shooting, whenever we were shooting some of that rehabilitation photography, we had OTs and PTs on set with us. Their insights were key in terms of crafting Jen's physical performance. And I know that the conversations that we both had with those veterans were completely indispensable to the internal work that she was doing. Mm -hmm. I feel a tremendous sense of responsibility. Those people open their lives to me, and that's not even to mention their service. Um, so um, yes, would be the answer. Can I ask, as you've come from a theater background, the play is the thing, right? You don't tend to change the script once it's written. When you're moving into film, do you find there's a big difference? Is the script constantly evolving? Is it changing on set? Things, you know, constantly fluid and moving, things going wrong. So how is that different? Things go wrong? Do things go wrong on your sets? On our sets, no. That's so weird. That's so weird. <laughs> Sardonically, she said. Um, uh, yes, things do go wrong. Plenty go wrong all the time on everyone's sets. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I came up, um, my background is primarily working on new plays. So I will just say that um, the relationship with the playwright has always been central for me. And a lot of the work that I've done in the theater began with a script in a very nascent place, sometimes an idea before even a script. So I would say that that kind of, the, the dramaturgical parts of my life collaborating with playwrights certainly had corollaries in the development of a script, which as you know, continues while you're on set because inevitably discoveries are made and continues into post because editing is writing and editing is structuring. That said, the processes of theater making and filmmaking are radically dissimilar. In some ways, the structure of the process is almost opposite. <laughs> so um, there was certainly a learning curve there, as well as a joyful uh, uh, discovery process in terms of all of the ways that my life and background in the theater, vis-a-vis -vis the collaboration with the actor, its centrality, the primacy of visual composition, I, I did feel like I got to carry that all with me <laughs> and showed up to set with it every day. And, and once you got the script and you got Jennifer attached, what was the, the collaboration in terms of what you've shot like and making your own input uh, and then your input as a producer and Jennifer and how did that kind of work? Sure, I mean, we, um, despite the kind of serendipitously accelerated nature mm -hmm. of our go mm -hmm. moment, the script was meaningfully developed in that interim. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the original screenplay was written by a fantastic first time screenwriter named Elizabeth Sanders. It was an adaptation of a novella she had written. She's from New Orleans where the film set this story really came from her heart. And the core DNA of the film is really mm -hmm. rooted in that original script. We then benefited from the contributions of the writers uh, Otessa Moshve and Luke Goebel. And likewise, like to some degree in any process, you know, both Jen and Brian Tyree Henry were so deeply connected to their characters' inner lives um, that our ongoing conversation while developing the script mm -hmm. and while on set uh, was hugely instrumental to the kind of ongoing realization of the film. There were so many reasons why this particular piece appealed to Jen after such a long hiatus. This was the first movie she made after taking probably three years off. And I think it was also the first film she produced. And so I think the opportunity to be able to collaborate in the way that you can when you're producing was especially exciting for her. And she found the perfect partner to do it with. And to witness their collaboration from start to finish has been extraordinary. And, and how did that collaboration work as an actor and a producer? Like how, how did that? 
Because it's, it's a challenging thing to wear several hats. I mean, I think, obviously, you guys were developing the material together in that sort of 11th hour of prep before we actually went to New Orleans and shot. But I think, you know, again, one of the great blessings of being able to produce is that you can protect the process and you can protect the filmmaker. So I think Jen felt you know, fiercely protective of Lila's voice and her agency. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the, the biggest ways in which she collaborated. You know, people have, I, I got asked, you know, like, was that complicated? Is she working for you? Are you working mm -hmm. for her? And um, I, the word for, um, I've, I don't think either of us, you could speak for, perhaps you could speak for Jen, or neither of us will speak for Jen, but I think, um, I don't think either of us felt like we were working for each other. I think we both felt we were working for the film. Yes. Um, so yes. we were working with each other for the best film we could make. And truly that spirit characterized every conversation. Totally. I mean, one of the beauties of collaborating with both Jen and Justine, though I would say that um, pervasively there was really deep creative alignment, was that in the rare moments in which we disagreed, it was such a kind of safe and even joyful space to have difference of opinion because no one was interested in winning the argument. Totally. We are all so interested in understanding the other's point of view. Yes. And so the the, the uh, discovery of any point of disagreement is so often like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. I didn't think about it that way. And then thus the kind of best idea comes out of yes. that opportunity um, to, to share differing viewpoints. And then the outcome is in some way like the collaboration through that discourse. Yes. Yeah. It always felt productive, always, and, and, and like devoid of ego, which I think is unique because I don't think that's common. And I think working with actors as well, that's, that's always the best policy is not to just think, okay, I'm the director, this is what I think, the actor thinks this. It's, it's finding that middle ground that sort of serves the film where everyone's you know, collaboration is aligned. I also think Jen very fundamentally respects the dynamic of you are the director. You know, whether she's working with Darren Aronofsky or a first-time filmmaker, I think that's something she really subscribed to. So, subscribes to, sorry. So even though, yes, I think she felt comfortable asserting herself, at the end of the day, she respected Lila's perspective. Absolutely, I think you do tend to find a third option, you know, if two people are disagreeing, quite often that third option you discover is better than yes. either of the previous ideas. Yes. And it's great to have that collaborative film on set. I mean, it must have been, slightly intimidating for both of you coming into such a huge project. Is this both your first feature as a director and as a producer? Yes. Wow. So yes. you went you went hard for your first. Nice easy one to start with. <laughs> for sure. So was a lot, was, did you feel the pressure or did it feel like you were at home? It felt natural? Was it a bit of both? Of course we felt the pressure. Um, but I think we leaned into it. I think it's even when you, your question earlier about how you manage, you know, whatever crisis can come up on set. I think you just have to, I think sometimes that forces you to streamline and rise to the occasion <laughs> and be on your game. And so I think, yeah, we tried to turn the pressure into a gift. I think the creative process can demand um, acts of compartmentalization. Totally. <laughs> and um, my feeling is that, um, my, my feeling about any creative endeavor, like I've felt this in the theater as well as in filmmaking, is that you prepare, prepare, prepare as rigorously as humanly possible, and then you show up to rehearsal or to the set, and 
you assume you know nothing. Mm. Um, you leave it at the, the door so that you can be alive to what's happening in front of you, which isn't to suggest that you don't proceed with the shots as you imagine them if they're working, right? <laughs> um, but I think um, I uh, was in such good company on this set as a first time filmmaker in obviously Jen and Justine. I mean, Jen has been, a, an, uh, she's been on set since she was a teenager. So the gift of working with someone who's such a veteran of that environment to work with legendary production designer, Jack Fisk, you know, who's done movies 40 times the scale of this one and yet approached every single aspect of this and his collaboration with me with such rigor, meticulousness, joyful spirit of play. He has the creative curiosity of like a 12 year old mm -hmm. in the best way. Yeah. Our director of photography, Diego Garcia. We had such a strong team that I think it freed me on set to really just do the work, honestly. And what kind of is your process in pre-production? I mean, do you create mood boards? Did you did you sort of work very visually? Like how, how do you sort of work with your, you know, your DOP, your production designer in that side of things? I'm just thinking it's so rare in, in a day like today to get to have this conversation with other filmmakers. I'm like, tell me about yours. Um, can you, is that, is that the time? Do we get to, does this get to be two way? I'm like, it's a podcast. So. Um, what was my process of preparation? Coming from the theater, it does begin with the script. And we were, you know, actively developing this script, but you know, it's, it started there. And I would say um, the ability to prep on location in New Orleans was essential to this film. You know so much of prep while you're, you're, you're intermittently scouting. And I would say that the ability to be immersed in that city, which is such a unique, it, it's a singular American city's city, was hugely vital. Um, and, you know, I think so much organically transpired between me, Jack, and Diego, like walking the streets in the 99 degree heat. Um, wait, wait, was uh, as hot as it looked then? Oh, it was Were you all diving in the paddling? Were you all diving in the paddling pool? Oh, it was way hotter than it looked. It was 103 <laughs> degrees. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But also the greatest, one of the greatest American cities. But also the temperature yeah. was, it was, and it was humid. I mean, one of the discoveries of this filmmaking process is in fact how much I can sweat yeah. for yeah. me. And in fact, the how humidity, many times can how many times can you change your socks? You know, I once yeah. read. I good, once but good read, behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah, I read in a piece that, or an interview that Ava Duver DuVernay said her advice was change your socks at lunch. Mm. It was like best oh. advice I ever got. It's it's really a game changer. Um, uh, or, or, or wet socks. Too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know. um, but um, no, I mean, there was a lot, you know, a lot of shot listing, a lot of like walking the streets, talking and thinking, um, you know, Jack, uh, and, and um, I can also add that the foundational research in those conversations was operating in different arenas as well while we were in New Orleans. So it felt very much like a, a, a period of attempting to be as sponge-like as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly for me as a first-time filmmaker to just seek to osmos everything from all of the people around me um, to try to just apply what I was learning in real time. I mean, I've always strongly believed in location shooting because I think when you go somewhere that's outside of your own your own town or your own culture or whatever, and you you throw a crew in and you're sort of on this shared goal, it, it does it, it. The very atmosphere gets kind of soaked up into the film and it becomes its own its yes. own sort of character yes. in the film. How did the rehearsal process? So going from theatre background, I'm guessing you do a lot of rehearsals in theater. That's the thing. Uh, so, so how does that work working with, you know, does Jennifer like a lot of rehearsals? Is she just, I'm there, I've got it. Well, <laughs> yeah, she's there. Well, I will say, Justine's for the audio, laughing, we for the audio, it. Justine's <laughs> laughing. Um, well, I can speak to this process and that I, what I'll say is, you know, actually, 
after, not long after that dinner, Jen and I got together at her apartment for breakfast every day for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Like in this food, food yeah, yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah. It's imp- I it's always say a meeting, a meeting without food could have been an email. That's how we met over, over that is a brunch. And yeah, brilliant. I'm stealing that. That's how I ended up it. So yeah. wise. And in this day and age, certainly it could happy. be a Zoom. I yeah. mean, come on. We ate and read through the script page by page. And while I would not say that looked like a formal rehearsal per se, we were saying the words of that original script out loud together and just talking about it, just really organically talking about what was coming up for us reading it. Opening up choices and... Yeah, and and candidly, not speaking about performance. Mm -hmm. Like we were not talking about what the performance would look or feel like. We were talking about the ideas in the script, the experience of the character, how it was speaking to our experiences as people. So I would say we were just sort of organically immersing ourselves in the world of the film. And I think for me, that those just really organic, cumulative conversations uh, were hugely instrumental in kind of beginning to build a kind of inner picture for me of how it wanted to look, sound, feel, smell, um, and also getting to know Jen, mm-hmm. to just build a vocabulary together. And then I would say that um, when Brian came into the picture... So, so how, just, yeah. just to jump into that question, yeah. uh, how did Brian get involved in the project? Like, So Jen was attached already, is that is that right? Or Yes. And then, then how did you find someone so brilliant as Brian? And cause that's obviously like the, the key, it's yeah. a two-hander, it's, oh, it's all yes. about those two and how they connect. Oh, yes. Well... I, and then I'm like, I'm doing all the talking. I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer this yeah. and then, but you at, I'm like, I'm like, oh, what's about? It's, um, I've known, please, I've known Brian since I was 19. So he's wow. an old friend. Yeah. Um, I was in undergrad when he was in drama school, the same school. And so I've, um, I've been in on the secret. I guess it's not really much of a secret for a long, for a long time. At the time, at the time, time maybe. I don't mean more so, yeah. but it's definitely not anymore. Now the cat's um, out of the bed. Yeah. Um, on Brian. I, yeah. He, um, I've known for a long time that Brian's an actor of, I think, utterly singular range, magnetism, depth, integrity, humanity, as an actor, as a person. Um, you know, I first saw him in when he was in, in drama school in the plays of Lanford Wilson. And then I saw him do uh, end of the plays of Terrell McCraney when he was in school, a play called Brother Size. I remember Brian's performance in that play so vividly. It was at Yale Drama School. And then I saw him play Mercutio in Shakespeare in the Park. Um, yeah. Was, was yeah. he on the, on the page? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a, you know, to me, he's a character that, that really thinks before he says, and you're, you're always waiting for him to say something. And when he says it, so he's very, very profound. well, very profound. He's just <laughs> spitting wisdom. He's just, every yeah. Time but, he opens his mouth. Exactly. He, he doesn't, he doesn't over speak. Was mm-hmm. that on the page or was that sort of part of his performance? Something that you've kind of worked with him or? I think it's a combination. But I would also not credit myself. I would credit Brian. Like in ter- I mean, that's which is to say, um, uh, I, I think it's a combination. I also think that I think Brian and I, and I think the Jen Brian and I found this with these characters, share an interest. Yes, he's a character who has some insight, and at the same time, he is a character who has his own work to do as well, um, <laughs> his own challenges mm-hmm. and setbacks. Mm-hmm. He is undergoing his own transformation and journey in this film as well. And I think he and I share an interest both in the capacity of language, but also the limits of language and the moments in which um, people find they're not fully 
able to um, articulate precisely what they're thinking and feeling and what happens in those moments. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, I think a lot happens when you look into Brian Tyree Henry's eyes. Mm. That's interesting, actually. I mean, I know you've done TV before, but when you're approaching screen, say it's film or TV, do you find that useful to have that extra tool where you can like have a close up of someone's face as opposed to the theater where people are right at the back and you've got to make it a bit bigger? I mean, in the theater years, right? You only got the wide. You just got that one wide. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, there are so many tools that are at your disposal with filmmaking that you do not have in theater. Um, although, of course, there's a phenomenon in the theater that is not present in film because they're just up to different enterprises sort of philosophically and at the kind of molecular level. They're, they're two very different projects. But yes, I would say the tool of the close-up. <laughs> Comes in handy. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very useful tool. And um, the ability to use it uh, coming from the world of the wide uh, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. And, and how did you find it kind of balancing the relationship between the two characters? Because, I mean, it, at the very start, it kind of goes in the direction of like, is there a potential romance? And then Jennifer Lawrence's character sort of mentions she likes girls. And then there's the scene in the swimming pool, but there's, you know, really it's about opening up, but it was very subtly handled. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how did you sort of approach that those arcs, those relationships? Because mm -hmm. you don't really know what's going on with him so much, so you know, she's kind of declaring a bit more and he's keeping a bit more mystery. I'm sort of endlessly fascinated by the ways in which the attempt to forge intimacy with other people, whether it is romantic intimacy or platonic intimacy, any kind of intimacy, is so often characterized by kind of contradictory impulses to reach out and retreat, to connect and to self-protect. And um, I think both of their characters are on kind of different trajectories in terms of their readiness to connect and their fears about connecting. For me, what, what, what those characters need is maybe, or I feel, suddenly I feel like I'm, um, I feel inappropriate speaking on behalf of the characters. I'm like, they should speak for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I feel like what, I think what they need is connection and intimacy. And it's almost like, romantic intimacy is sort of besides the point. Like I, I think um, they, they need to feel, I think they both are in a, in a desperate need to feel safe, yeah. to feel less alone, to feel like for an instant they might be more understood and maybe seen. Um, but of course that experience is quite frightening uh, to really be seen. And yet I think both want to be seen very badly. Yeah, and I think the, the scene in his apartment where he just says, you know, I want someone to have coffee with in the morning and dinner with in the evening and, and watch movies. And it's like that That actually is, you know, you could have that in a relationship, but sometimes it's just nice to have that with a friendship, you know, just to have someone around to sort of connect with. But that's what's also so special about this particular friendship. And honestly, the movie and the way that the film itself sort of subverts the tropes of like the PTSD genre and that we're seeing a really internal version of coping, which I think is rare. The friendship is highly unique. You know, how you certainly, is it romantic? Is it not? Who knows? Like, I think, um, what a tricky thing for them to pull off. Like, not only in the writing, but also in their chemistry. Like, it's a relationship that I'm not sure we've quite seen before between two people. Yeah, it's really unique. And yes. It's, it's, it's really, you can't you can't define it, but it's it's really powerful. And again, I don't even know if it was totally on the page exactly. Like, so much of it is just in what lies between them. Like I don't, it's, and I think it's so contingent on the pairing. 
Like you can have two really gifted actors who still can't achieve that subtle, strange sort of, I don't know, idiosyncratic quality. Deep agree. I mean, both of these actors, both Jen and Brian, were so deeply connected to their characters in her life. And Jen and Brian have such a natural connection yes. and easy chemistry and rapport as human yes. beings. It was joyous, just joyous. And so th I think those forces of connection were completely instrumental to discovering what that relationship wanted to be. And I would add, though, that like, you know, if there's a kind of will they or won't they in the film, it was important to all of us from the outset that the will they or won't they, it's not a romantic will they or won't they. The will they or won't they is like, are they ready to be open to another mm -hmm. person? Are they ready to be vulnerable to another person? Are, are they ready to... Um, yeah, be exposed in that way. Yeah, and I think his character is really fascinating as well because you've obviously got the wartime PSD, which is you know the, the sort of heart of the story. But there is so many levels of varying PSD that people have to go through, and, and it is it is all about being brave in the face of that and in in front of those triggers. And, and I think the the way that the two connect with each other is it makes it very accessible for for a lot of people. That I think have gone through sort of traumas. I'm glad you felt that way. Me too. <laughs> So, so Excellent. <laughs> tick, tick for the filmmaker podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Justy, what? Yeah, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your journey into producing? Sure. How did it all start for you? Oh my gosh, with Jen. So, Jen gave me my first job out of school. We were friends and roommates, and um, met. It was pre Winter's Bone, and so you can imagine how bizarre it was to have your roommate suddenly become you know, an Oscar nominee overnight. And, oh man, I mean, I think our friendship preceding the working relationship was such a gift because we had established trust. And I also think we grew up together, we established our taste together, and we've been working together in some capacity ever since. And I suppose you want someone as you're going through a, like a really big journey into into those kind of level of films that's, that's got your so, back. Right? I mean, it's such a, man, I think the experience of being a public figure is actually kind of traumatizing, right? Um, it's super abnormal and I think you experience a lot of betrayal and of course there are so many glorious, profoundly exciting things about being in Jen's position, but it's also sort of tricky and can be difficult at times too. So um, I think we got lucky that we found each other and, and you know, that I could be sort of a witness to to all of that on a personal level, but also her artistic evolution. And we started developing material a few years ago and started the company right before the pandemic. And this was the first movie that we produced for the company. She had taken, as I said earlier, probably like a three-year hiatus. And most of what we were being submitted at the time was pretty conventional work, to be honest. Like, perfectly structured stories where every detail is being spoon fed to you and you know and so this came in and it was untraditional and sort of ambiguous from a story perspective in a great way it felt refreshing the spirit was on the page you could feel it i think she had just finished a sort of heap of studio films and was really craving something intimate and i think also like this genre is sort of endangered, isn't it? Especially in the US, like tiny independent cinema. And that's the genre that broke her, you know? So I think it felt especially meaningful to kind of go back and support something like that. And I think a big mission for the company is also to just support a wide range of storytelling and talent. And I think she was super excited by the prospect of 
working with the first time filmmaker who's also a woman. And how did you how did you learn producing? Was it by being on set with with her? Like, did you did you read books? Oh, I mean, yeah. like, how did you sort of get oh, stuck yeah. into this? I mean, so it's such I, a I, I big mean, job. There's so much you can learn, of course, in a classroom. But I think when it comes to the arts, well, certainly there's no one way to learn, right, mm -hmm. in the arts. But I think for me, being on sets was like a profound education. I absorbed everything. And I was so incredibly lucky because she was working with some of the greatest filmmakers in the world. So that exposure is like, what a privilege. It's kind of insane. And I was able to forge good relationships with the producer she worked with. And I was sort of often thrown into scenarios sort of prematurely. And it kind of forces you to learn quite quickly on the spot and be really um, self-aware and humble about what you do know, what you do not know. Um, and and yeah. So what? Because for me, producers, mm. it's such a varied term. There's just so much you have to do. Yes. Myself and Dom have both yes, done it. Yes. And I don't think they always get enough credit because it's just so much coming at you at, mm. on a daily basis. So what horrors? Horrors. It's the horrors that come for you. Oh yes. What was the question? What so how do you deal with that? And what's, what, what for you was the most challenging aspect of, of being a producer, especially at this scale? My gosh, I think probably staying calm under all circumstances, because even um, m movies that I wasn't producing but was working on and we're shooting something now, every movie's hard. Like, I don't think it's ever smooth. Um, and I think you have to like stay calm under pressure. You have to listen to people. Um, and again, I think you have to be really aware of what you don't know. And you have to have the humility to ask and to defer to the people who know better than you. And I think having really close relationships with the filmmakers, like even when we develop, I think there's a real intimacy that we try to create. And I hope we make them feel very protected because I think especially working in the American system, the Hollywood system where there are so many cooks in the kitchen and there's a lot of money and there's a lot of you know opinions. I think it's easy to feel like your voice is going to be infiltrated by you know. So I think it's it's the most important thing for us is to stay as close as possible to the filmmaker to protect the process and make sure we're always honoring what they want. Yeah, and creating that environment so so important. I think one of the totally. biggest biggest disasters on film is when someone's pretending they know what they're doing. It's the worst. You know, when they don't, and it's not about knowing everything. It's about surrounding yourself with a good team where they understand you know the direction the film is going mm -hmm. in, and you know someone might have a better idea than you. And, and that's being able the key. To, I think it. LOL that I'm, I'm about to quote Steve Jobs, but I think he said, <laughs> like, the best idea in the room has to win the day, whether it's coming from a PA or you, you know? And so I think if you have that attitude, you're good. So, so what was the process in terms of the production companies, Apple, A24? Yes. Uh, I mean, what was the collaboration? Did they have input? Like, who came on board when? I mean, it came together pretty quickly. Um, so just like gen money. Uh, Basically, yeah. I mean, it, it it came together as quickly as she suggested it did. The script came in, she read it very quickly. It was exact, I, I think whatever she felt was something she had not felt in a long time when she had finished the read. And she met Lila, I honestly want to say like a week later, and as you guys can probably tell, within like seconds of meeting Lila, it's pretty clear that she's a fucking force. <laughs> and so... She was blown away right away, and she they're actually, like, <laughs> they're like, man, no, we're nodding, we're nodding. Humble head bragging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, Gemma's getting married at the end of the summer, so we also had a hard out. Like, I think this happened in what? 
day, I, a day is really important. Absolutely. Having just saying oh, we're doing it this time. Hundred percent. And so I think it was like maybe February. We read it right February. I mean, we were prepping by end of March, beginning of April, April. something like this. Um, and we had to wrap by mid August. And so as uh, insane as that sounds, I do think there's something, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this too, when you have to work quickly and you have to be resourceful and you have to be streamlined, it kind of brings out everybody. You have to rise to that occasion. And so it can be overwhelming to work that way. But I, I also, I don't know, I, I think it was kind of a gift. And then we made the film, of course, with A24, and I think we sold it to Apple a few months ago. So was the yeah. was more of the collaboration with A24 in terms of like what what input did they have? Did they have much? Or were they just yeah. like this is great? I mean, you know? there's a reason why so many filmmakers and actors specifically continue to work with A24 over and over again. They are so filmmaker friendly. I think. They're all super smart. They have opinions that they're willing to share, but they don't overstep. They don't impose. They are super respectful of process. We felt nothing but supported by then. I mean, it, it was it was pretty extraordinary. They're incredible partners. I'm Director sure enthusiastically yeah. nods. Yeah. I mean, I can't. It's it's <laughs> it's like it's wild because right, like I have in this field, I have no index of comparison, and yeah. I I'm but. From what I hear, <laughs> and and what I know from the intense fruitfulness of this collaboration, they are uniquely incredible in the ways in which they are um, endlessly supportive, without precisely, as you said, mm -hmm. imposing. And I would add that um, you know when you know we are not unique in the challenges that we encountered in the pandemic. There are many filmmakers who experience similar challenges. Mm -hmm. So were you but shooting sort of a, just before or just around it? Or? So we shot, I mean, we started shooting in the summer of 2019, but had a series of setbacks even then. Uh, there was a hurricane in New Orleans and we had to evacuate. And there was uh, heat waves, flash floods. So, and as Jesse mentioned, there was this hard out. So there was always a, an, an intention to go back. Um, but when we were going back, we were then hit with the pandemic. Um, and then essentially had to wait um, about... 18 months to finally complete. Yeah, we kept, we had to keep, we kept pushing in the pandemic. Um, were, were, and, you, and were you masked up with the ludicrous heat? Was that? Was that yes. Oh yeah, round not, two. That's not a fun. No, it was <laughs> it's all new, all new kind of sweat. I mean, new Mouth yeah. sweat. Totally. Exactly. A, a real exactly. Yeah, it's like the chin, act, the chin, it's, exactly. The chin sweat. It's really wild. Um, yeah, it's wild. Um, but I, but I would just say that again, I don't know, but I have to imagine there are a lot of projects out there that wanted to come back that still haven't come back. Mm -hmm. And I really will say that it is a testament to A24 mm -hmm. that they demonstrated the conviction, resilience, and dedication to see this project through against and withstanding insane obstacles. And then I would be remiss not to also recognize the resilience and tenacity of the creatives involved in this film, especially Jen and Brian, who came back to reinvest in characters that they had created two years prior. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge. Um, and everyone rose to it, I think, with such generosity of spirit, it's wild. So did you, did you have a gap where you were able to look through the, because we, we had that as well, which was actually kind of a yep. blessing because you've got loads of time you can go through everything. You can, yes. you know, you can reshuffle the front end, or you can oh, you yes. can do whatever. So, what did you change from yeah. what you'd already shot? That you did you reshoot anything? What 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 changed? It is already a matter of public record that um, we shot flashbacks for this film. Uh, the incredible, inimitable Jack Fisk created us an army base on a landfill in New Orleans. You know, you hear and read a lot about killing your darlings, 
and then you have to do it, um, which is a, was a whole other education uh, in this process for me. That photography was beautiful. It was visually so striking. The performances were incredible. The production design was incredible. I, I loved it. It was on, mm -hmm. yeah, it was in 16mm. It was beautiful. And it was a tremendously painful realization that I had to cut it. Um, so um, that became clear. And in, in really engaging with what was staring me in the face, which was that the film is really not focused on what happened in the past, which is not to say that the past doesn't matter, it deeply does, but that the film's focus is um, how to deal with it, <laughs> how to cope with it, how to live with it, how to live through it, how to keep going. Um, and so having made that realization, I think it deepened our engagement with the relationship between Jen and Brian's mm -hmm. character very organically. Um, so that sort of moved towards the center of the film more definitively, though it had always been the central relationship in the present tense of the film. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I, I did consider that when I was watching the film, like, do we need to see anything outside of it? But I really liked the fact that it just it immersed you into the streets and this kind of, you know, you've grown up here, now we've got a new perspective on it. We're sort of, you know, we're trapped in that world, but we're we're fully immersed. And I think it was I'm a great- I'm so glad that that was working for you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all to Lila's credit, like even earlier in the discussion, referencing whatever discourse occurred throughout the process, that was something that I think we all debated for a while, whether or not we should use any of the 16 from a narrative perspective, even just from a textural perspective. And it was something, I mean, we spent months thinking that through. DVD extras, totally. deleted scenes, Maybe. they sit around. But, <laughs> I, but I do think there was something powerful, I think ultimately where, where Lila landed was to, I, I think we've seen so many films about PTSD and war where you are cutting back to a war zone. And I think, yeah, there was something interesting about not doing that. Yeah, I enjoyed that you didn't. Yeah. Actually. And you do okay. you do still learn from that process, even sure. though I know it's a very expensive oh God, lesson. Yes. The studios yes. wouldn't be happy to hear this, yes. but you know, having shot that, given the actors the opportunity to be in that situation. Totally. And just to learn from it, because you know, it's a fluid process and you're discovering the film as it's shooting. So yes. I can imagine it was still massively helpful and impacted the rest of the film. Yes, hugely. Leela Justine, it's been an absolute pleasure. Ditto. Uh, we Ditto. wish you the best success with the Thank film. Thank you so much. Uh, and it really is a film you should go and see. So, uh, thank you guys so much. Good luck on your, your film. film. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Listen, you can go make your own films. You can make it happen. Go out there, do it. Believe in your project. Believe in your film. Believe in your script, and make it happen. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday, as always. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening. We love all your support, and we love you to listen. Any questions, anything you've got about filmmaking, do get in touch. That's what it's all about. Bye. The Filmmakers Podcast exists thanks to your support. If you'd like to ensure that we can keep on exploring the filmmaking world with you, subscribe to our Patreon.